Well, good morning, everyone. AT&T says it's 11 o'clock on my phone, so we will get started. Welcome to week 14. We've only got one more regular class and then our final together. And we're going to kind of have a little bit of a musical theme today for our video share. Kind of a musical and a science theme, so it'll be a little different. But anyway, we're going to uh, have some good videos and uh, app shares relating to music. So if you're musically inclined, um, you can be ready for that. Today we're going to be talking about smart boards and interactive whiteboards. And um, we will be talking about our last graded assignment, which is going to be just a five slide. It's like a five slide uh, notebook that's going to be pretty quick, something you can probably do in, in 15 minutes. But we're going to talk a lot about the different resources for smart boards and whiteboards. But first, we're going to do some videos. So has anybody heard of the YouTube channel History for Music Lovers? Anybody heard of this? I'm going to show this video. I would like, as you watch it, you to think about whether or not this would be a good video or not to share in a high school history class. And if so or if not, why?
All right. Take about uh, a minute and a half to talk with your neighbor about whether or not that would be a good thing to share in a history class and why or why not. And if somebody's by themselves, invite them to join your group. Don't let anybody be there by themselves. <laughs> things they might get or pick up on. Was there much vocabulary in this? Yes. Well, right. Right, right. It doesn't. But what what are some of the vocabulary words that you might have picked up on or people or The three estates? Yep, they talked about that. Yeah, who yeah, who let me cake and who was supposed to Marie Antoinette was Supposedly, that was her, her famous line. It's apocryphal. <laughs> she didn't say it. Right. That's an um, urban legend myth. Um, Robespierre, guillotine. What does it end with? Napoleon. Yeah, Napoleon the coup d'etat. Of course, my son is just in seventh grade, and he hasn't taken uh, high school world history, but he said, Napoleon? Was the French Revolution? Yeah, that was... Their revolution went really bad and it ended in dictatorship. Anybody think of a reason why this might not be a great one to show in class? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Lady Gaga is very controversial, yes. Mm-hmm. And probably just going to be even more controversial. You know, I am very uh, diametrically in opposition to her Gnostic and postmodern theology and philosophy. But she's a very relevant cultural force right now. And do um, you think it'd make a difference if your kids liked Lady Gaga's songs as far as seeing this video? Like we said, it related to the generation very well. 
How, how does this compare to your typical history textbook? Typical history textbook is... Right, you might not fall asleep and drool on yourself as you... Well, it's incredibly multimedia rich. It's actually very, very distracting and, and visually taxing. I mean, there's so many images. I have no idea how long it took him to make this, but I bet it was tons of time. I mean, if you would just try to count the scene changes, I don't even know what that'd be. It'd be hundreds, it's hundreds, hundreds of scene changes. The research, well, the research shows that if you want to increase everyone's reading literacy, turn closed captioning on on your television. Most DVDs have closed captioning. Most television programs do. A lot of people will learn a foreign language by watching television with closed captioning on. It is basically forcing you to read. It, you, you almost can't say to your brain, okay, don't read the words when they're on like that. So that's a technique to keep in mind, and we can do that in our classrooms now. I mean, when you're gonna show a video, turn on the closed captioning. Your kids may be like, I don't want that on there. Well, too bad, you know what? You're going to focus more on content. You're gonna pick up words. I don't think I would have picked the word Sue. It said it went yeah. from eight Sue to 12 in a year. Yeah. That's a line. What's a Sue? Well, I don't know. I guess it's a vocabulary word. I guess it had to do with the French Revolution and inflation and, you know. I wouldn't have picked that up without it being in the work. Someone in our 9 a.m. class said, well, maybe they're making pretty light of a very serious topic, right? And, and they are. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it, this particular group who has created this video has 53 videos on YouTube now. Um, they are a group of two history teachers that are in <coughs> Hawaii. You can get their uh, YouTube page and follow them here. And as they post new videos, they post them. And they're also on Twitter. So it's Amy and Herb. They're in Hawaii. They describe themselves as two kooky history teachers making history-based pop music. What do you think is going to happen if you end up watching these videos more than once? You're going to pick up on more stuff, right? Any video that you're seeing more than one time, you are going to pick up on more things. So I would say these are probably children of the 80s because tons of the songs that they picked, I mean, you know, Tainted Love, there's all kinds of 80s songs that they have in here. Taking the music. So the person who showed me this is the 
chair of the English department at Norman North High School. I was judging at the state debate tournament last Thursday at OU, and she was actually showing the teachers that just sitting around her Moodle site, which is like a WebCT blackboard, but it's the one they use at their high school. And she was teaching Beowulf, and so she had got one of these videos off of this site teaching about Beowulf. So this is obviously not going to replace your whole curriculum, but I think there's a lot of reasons why, depending upon the age and, of course, depending upon what you're teaching, um, it could be very engaging to bring this in, and especially to analyze and sort of dissect this. Um, and you know, this is a free. Re these are free resources that are available. I actually downloaded the French Revolution one um, and made it into an MP3 and put that on my iPad so I, or my iPod. So I don't know how many times I've listened to that in the last week. But um, I don't know. You're you're not necessarily going to shift kids, um, you know, listening to the the, the the regular music. But there are reasons why music is powerful. I'm the kind of person I always have a song in my head. And if I see something more than one time, I see it in a different way, I see it with media, you know, pictures and images are powerful. We shouldn't necessarily take everything at face value, right? Just because these are history teachers in Hawaii, hey, are there any mistakes in this? What did they leave out? Are they misleading us in some way? There's all kinds of ways that we can analyze this. But uh, they've taken a ton of time to create these. And I was just pretty excited to see that kind of creativity and a copyright example because you may say, oh my gosh, that's illegal. Well, it's a transformative work. Bless you. They have written their own script. They've created their own videos. True, they're using the music. They're also not running ads on these. So a lot of times when you, uh, you know, visit a, a, a page, you will see ads that are going to appear on the side, and they're not running ads. pretty fun. And there's over 50 of those videos. So that's uh, History for Music Lovers, and you can follow them on Twitter or Facebook, or uh, you can also always subscribe to them on YouTube And once you have your account, and you can follow that way. So I neglected to mention, if you didn't sign in today, please make sure you put your name in our attendance. And I was not going to just share one video today, I wanted to share two. So we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit. Has anybody... Um, seen uh, the Intel Rockstar video series? Let's think a little bit about role models and let's think about how our students think about math, how they think about science, how they think about technology. They think those things are cool. They think those things are stupid. What do they think of geeks? perceptions that we have about subjects. And a lot of times the, the view that we have about a subject is shaped by our teacher. 
I have a friend who is teaching at North Texas, and his sister teaches in Amarillo. And one of the challenges for their students in Amarillo is, what do you think, um, any guesses? These are uh, middle school students, what they're watching a lot on YouTube. What, what do they want to watch on YouTube all the time? Wrestling, okay? And that's all they want to do is watch wrestling. You know, if you are hanging out with people that are really into wrestling and they're watching videos about wrestling all the time and that's your world, maybe that is what you're going to watch. Um, how do you inspire kids to have a better perception of something or a different perception of something? Video can be a powerful way to do that. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. And uh, does anyone know when Sputnik launched? Can you find that really quick for me? Ah, somebody knows. Go ahead, just Google Sputnik. And you can probably pull up the Wikipedia article. Sputnik was essentially just a little radio that beeped, and it was put into orbit, but it terrified America. It made us think that the Soviets, the Russians, were going to get us, and it launched us into the space race. By the end of the 60s, as President Kennedy had challenged the nation, we landed a human on the moon. Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. We had all this focus on science and technology. And we have, in our country today, people discussing science, technology, and engineering, and math. There's some links on the Wikipedia article for STEM talking about the STEM coalition. And, you know, there are grants being written to try and help kids, you know, want to go into engineering and science. As I show you this next video, I want you to think about what age this might be appropriate for and, again, why or why not. Would, would this be something to show your kids? And if so, at what age might you show this to students? Here at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, we're tackling some of the most important problems facing the world. We're using our neutrons, our high-performance computing, and our understanding of materials to find better solutions for energy, for national security, for the environment. Are you ready to help us with that mission? for the National Guard uh, trying to determine which uh, cities with major metropolitan areas are going to be coming out of the recession. I'm working with carbon fiber and polymer composites research and creating preforms and panels with the robot behind it. I'm working on a project called Sensipedia. It's sponsored by the Oak Ridge National Laboratory where it's um, sort of like Wikipedia or Facebook or Twitter, it allows people to socially network through centers throughout the country. We're studying uh, nuclear reactions that occur in stars. I've worked on three main projects that all deal with carbon flux in the soil and in trees. This summer I'm working on climate models and how uh, climate change is affecting biodiversity uh, on our planet. I came here as a postdoc and I stayed here 23 years and uh, there's not a single day that I was not excited about coming to work. Why is that? It's because we have the world's greatest unique facilities that allows us to imagine solving some of the important challenges. We've got some, uh, some challenges out there in terms of um, resources, energy, fuel price, and we need really talented people with really good ideas to help us 
uh, address these challenges. It's almost like the next Manhattan Project. We need the best and brightest minds to help us uh, address our energy challenges. When I came to lab, I don't want to play in a sandbox and just publish a great paper. That's great for people who want to do that, and I think that's necessary and needed. But being able to actually reach out and impact society. Our lab, the Oak Ridge National Lab, does that better than any national laboratory in the country. I feel like the research that we do here is important because we're looking at something that the American public is very interested in, so global climate change. And so I think that's really easy to translate to students coming here, but that's important because they're reading it every day in the newspaper. So if they think about carbon dioxide or, or carbon trading or, or anything like that, I think that it can really strike home that if you can explain to them why, if they're looking at this particular root or this particular piece of soil, how that translates to the global carbon cycle and why that's important to us as a society. I think there are lots of implications there. The uh, Western economies uh, through the 20th century really took advantage of advances that were made at the end of the 19th century in terms of thermodynamics and electromagnetic theory and turned that into uh, an industrial powerhouse. But we're now having to move beyond that economy, beyond that era of, of uh, the fossil age. And uh, those who figure out those solutions for the future will be uh, creating the world that our children and grandchildren will inhabit. You're working in an environment where there are colleagues, other students, other postdocs, but also bright, young, and experienced scientists who challenge you. But then again, this is an environment where you get to challenge them because the, the science is give and take. But most importantly, we, we have this global reach from, from this uh, laboratory where we have scientists from all over the world who come here. People that you have read in your textbooks, that you've heard about, they come here if sometimes for a day to give a seminar, sometimes to come and work with us for a week or a month or a year or two. And so this really is science is a contact sport, and the reason why you are here is you get to contact, you get to touch, you get to interact with the brightest minds in the world, uh, work with the best, fastest, most unique new facilities in the world, and really some of the most challenging scientific problems. It is, it is like going to Disney World, only better. I would recommend the Volkswagen program to my friends, and I would tell them it's an incredible opportunity to learn and to get hands-on experience with automotive-related research. I like getting to work in the lab, and uh, I like the people I work with, and getting to come outside and work directly in the soil and build the plants. It's been a lot of fun. The thing I love about being an intern at ORNL is the diversity and the, the things that I'm exposed to here. Um, like, I never thought I would ever be working at a national laboratory ever. It's, it's great. I, I would highly recommend this program to my colleagues. I think that uh, this program really allows teachers to experience science in its uh, natural environment uh, and seeing science as it's really done and not just portrayed in a classroom setting. The coolest thing about ORNL is probably the diversity of people out here. I think the neatest thing about ORNL is the community. You walk around and you know that people are doing science here, research here, and that uh, it's just an interesting group to go to different talks, hear what everybody's doing, and it creates a community that you only really get on university campuses and places like this. Are you ready to dig a little deeper? Are you ready for the world's fastest supercomputer? Are you ready to advance solar energy in the United States? Are you ready to pass the nation transportation? So, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready.
Are you ready to join us at Oak Ridge National Laboratory as one of the next generation of scientists? All right, take 30 seconds. Talk to your neighbor. What do you think? What age and why or why not? show of hands, how many of you said high school? That's a good time to show this. Anybody say middle school? Anybody say elementary school? For those of you that said middle school, why did you say middle school instead of high school? So they can they, they get that interest in math. Because, I mean, you can't just get to high school and start at Algebra 1. I mean, you've got to learn all the steps before Algebra 1 to get I think we tend to look at stuff like this, even college, and think, oh, yeah, well, when they're a junior, you know, let's start. I'm convinced kids start forming identity about where they're going to go to school, what they're going to do really, really early. Um, there's big words in this, right? I mean, they're talking about nu stuff I don't understand, uh, nu you know, nuclear collisions, and uh, they're, they're addressing energy problems and all this. A lot of times in school, we, we falsely teach kids that science is about just memorizing a lot of stuff. And we do have to memorize stuff and learn stuff. But science is about doing, it's about creating, it's about making, it's about asking questions. And it's about making the world a better place. And so, you know, I don't think there's a right answer to that question. But I would challenge you to think about when do kids get inspired to have the perseverance and motivation it would take to go somewhere like this. Has anybody here taken calculus? I had to I had to take calc. I had to take more engineering than I ever wanted to at the Air Force Academy. Astro, aero, electrical, civil, mechanical, design. <coughs> you know, I didn't want to do that. I was a fuzzy major, but everyone had to take those classes. Uh, you have to have a lot of motivation to get through classes, especially ones that are taught poorly by people who aren't professors and who are, you know, adjuncts and don't speak English very well. Uh, has anybody had a class that you've had difficulty understanding the professor? You know, that's great for, for people being motivated to, to be able to teach, but it's not the ideal environment to be learning from someone who is, who is having trouble communicating in that language. So let's think about what we share with students and how it is that we might use media to inspire them. Um, I wrote a post, and I've linked this one, um, that references Meet the Robinsons. Have you seen that movie before? Great movie. Wilbur has the slogan, keep moving forward. You know, let's invent the future. Somebody in the last class mentioned the movie uh, October Sky. Have you seen that? It's awesome. Why is it a great movie if you've seen it? Yeah, and what's the story? This is Homer Hickam, and Homer came from what kind of a situation? Yeah, coal mining, his brother's coal mine, his dad coal mine, that's what he was going to go do, you know? And it's a true story, and he became a NASA scientist, 
and you know went on to make contributions to I, I don't know if they were both Mercury all the all our all our programs leading up to the moon but very inspirational I mean sharing a little bit about people who are passionate about science and sharing that right how many of your kids have seen that maybe seeing that kind of a movie might spark an interest and, and help kids think about um, science and, and math and technology and we've just spent a little time in our class talking about scratch right remember the inventor of this Seymour Papert the, the grandfather wanted to make an environment where math was the language you had to talk it was like water that you swam in it was like the words that you said you can't move your sprite in scratch without thinking math you have to think about the coordinate grid and you make stuff and you create so anyway, I just want to encourage you to share your passion, to you know, get kids inspired. Have any of you heard about the Oklahoma School of Math and Science? What do you know about OSSM? And what is it? Who gets to go? Junior and seniors, right? How much does it cost to go? 100% free. And do you know we have school districts in Oklahoma right now that forbid OSSM from coming to recruit in their school because they do not want to lose those kids and they do not want to lose their test scores. Because after all, life all comes down to how good our test scores are, right? Yeah. Wrong. Test scores are important and we have to take tests. But that's an example, I think, of an immoral behavior that is, that is happening here in our state. You know, if you've got a kid who has the motivation, and it will not start their sophomore year, they're going to have to get motivated early to be able to go here. Um, if you've got somebody that wants to go and, and work and, you know, do what it takes to, to go to a school like that, by all means do. I think part of what the Internet should mean for us is that we have access to some of the best uh, minds, to some of the best ideas, uh, if, if, if I say Abraham Lincoln, what do you think of? Civil War, right? What else? What's that? Emancipation. Emancipation Proclamation, all right, freeing the slaves. What do you think about Lincoln in terms of education? Does anybody, we, we talked about an urban legend of let them eat cake or whatever. What, what's the story? I mean, George Washington is the apple tree, right? Uh, the cherry tree, he talked about the log cabin. That's right. It's even here on the Wikipedia article. <gasps> there it is. It's pretty much true in this case. And it was, right? Reading by candlelight in the log cabin. Okay. Did think about... the homework on the back of a shovel was one I heard when I was a kid. Say that again? He did his homework on the back of a shovel. <laughs> really? Yeah. Didn't have a slate. So, so think about the log cabin learner today who has access to the internet and, and a computer. Just because I have access to technology, does that mean I'm going to go become a rocket scientist, be a Homer Hickam? No. I've got to have a teacher, right, who motivates me, parents that motivate me, or for some reason I've got to have that drive inside me that says, I'm going to go learn that stuff. When we were driving to California for spring break, we listened to this book on, on Audible, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. And um, this is incredible. This guy got uh, on the TED conference in 2007, but grew up in Malawi, Africa, dropped out of school because his parents couldn't afford to pay the money that you had to pay to go to school. And with 
a bunch of junk from the junkyard. He built a windmill that provided electricity in his house, and people could come and charge their cell phones. And he came discovered and has now gone to college. It's an incredible story. He had a drive inside him somehow that he wanted to create and he wanted to invent and he wanted to do things. So we can be inspired by many different stories and media like you know videos that we have on YouTube have that potential and that possibility. So I want you to think about that and then and just don't don't underestimate kids and don't assume, ah, oh, you're just in fifth grade. You're not interested in solar energy or, you know, overcoming fossil fuels. I listened to a great podcast called the NPR Technology Podcast. It's free. I don't have a chance to listen to the radio all that much, but just download this to my iPhone and I can listen in the car or wherever I happen to be. And they had an episode about an artificial leaf. And in 1998, some scientists proved that we could make an artificial leaf, but it was using space-age technology that was super expensive. So tell me what happens with a leaf. And I'm talking trees and plants here, right? What does a leaf take and what does it make? Inputs to the leaf are? Oxygen and Well, not oxygen. It's the reverse. There you go. Carbon dioxide and? light, which is energy, photons from the sun, and what else? What do we, what do we not have much of right now in Oklahoma? Water. Okay. So it takes that photon and it splits water, and what's the molecule for water? H2O, into its component parts, hydrogen and oxygen. So they have now, at MIT, developed an artificial leaf, which is ten times more efficient than real leaves. <laughs> this guy, Daniel Nocera, has done it. And this artificial leaf <laughs> creates hydrogen. And, I mean, I have got to think, and I don't, I don't know, but I've got to think that we're close to some kind of a breakthrough in energy. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe this is going to be it. But how exciting to have access to these kinds of ideas. And do, I don't think you can put a price on inspiration. So don't underestimate kids. And don't, don't underestimate the importance of your role as the teacher in potentially inspiring kids to not just think about their grade in that class. What are you going to do with your life? Where do you want to go? What do you want to be? What, what, you know, what kind of a change do you want to make? I think this is accurate that the majority of major breakthroughs which have happened in science have been done by young people. Einstein made his major contributions when he was younger. When you get older, sometimes you become jaded. Maybe your brain becomes less pliable. I don't know why. Maybe people tell you it can't be done and you believe them. But there's a lot of exciting things that happen with, with young people. And we've got the Oklahoma School of Science and Math right downtown, and you know that's an opportunity. Let your kids know about that and, and think about inspiring them for that. Because I think that's, that's how we can really contribute to STEM education. Um, hopefully there will be you know, exciting grants that we can write and we can earn you know, for our schools to, to do robotics and do all kinds of things. But... Some of the stuff that we've talked about in this class, like Scratch, provides a venue for students to, to learn about how science and technology and math can really apply and be used. So that was like the super long video intro, but hey, that's the fun thing about being an instructor. Sometimes you get to decide how you structure the day. So let's do a um, app share, and then we're going to um, basically talk the rest of the lesson about smart words, which is a far less exciting topic, but an, uh, a required topic nonetheless. Um, I, how many of you have used a program like GarageBand before to 
make a video? Has anybody, or to make music rather, not to make a video. Has anybody done that? A couple people. Have you all used any other programs besides GarageBand to do that? Oh, wow, the high-end stuff. Um, I'll show you the link. There's a there's a program called Mixcraft for Windows, which is similar to GarageBand. It's about a $75 program. I'm going to uh, go to the GarageBand app, but I've got several different music apps. Uh, this is one that my kids like a lot called Bebop. You can switch his... Um, I have to double click that. We can switch. There, so this is his regular mode. This is an app that works both on the iPhone and um, the iPad. Is anybody here a, a, a piano player? Or have, if you'd like to, I, I don't have. This app checks to see if it's updated first, so I think we have to wait a second. No. Well, the waiting Audacity is open source. Yes, absolutely. Audacity is. You want to come play some? I mean, seriously, my the limit of mine is like... Can't go down that far. You want to come play something? Just for fun? I don't really like playing. Okay. Does anybody else want to come play? Um, you can do the duet, so I can flip this, and somebody can play on that side. I don't have that many piano skills, so I'll be limited there. Um, this is a free program I just learned about called Singing Fingers. This was developed, actually, I think, out of the same lifelong kindergarten group that developed Scratch. Pretty neat. Um, you can sing or say something and it will record that as you move your fingers. Lord, I was born a rambling man trying to make a living and doing the best I can. Lord, I was born a rambling man No, this probably isn't. This is one they've done. <laughs> we don't even have to do... So is that another app that runs like... Uh, e that's like the pitch depending on where This one is, I don't know, just basically recording and then drawing, trying to make that kind of a connection. Um, this is Magic Piano, which was the one that you used that does that. Do you remember the name? Did you have, is there an app? I don't know, there's, there's just a couple of apps that are out there that are just for fun that allow you to sort of like play along with This is Magic Piano, if you kind of know how the song goes. You can actually like sound like you know what you're doing when you really don't. Um, you can go to the world and if I'm connected to the internet, which I'm not, it'll, it'll let you listen in to other people who are playing. And um, you, can do, you can do duets and things like that. Um, I have not played pocket guitar. I have a friend who likes Shred, which is an iPhone app. In fact, did I show you guys his, his guitar, playing the iPhone on the guitar? I'll, uh, I'll, maybe we'll do that one next week. Um, he has a video on YouTube about that. 
Um, here's GarageBand. So GarageBand, I've used it before on my desktop computer and played with a little bit. It really is one of these things that you need to play with, but it's also fun to see you know, what people can do with it who, who actually have more musical skills. I just did vocal music in school. I, didn't, uh, I took a year of piano when I was in college. But um, you can do notes on these. But what's, I think the most fun is to do chords and then to do autoplay. in the same textbook that was, you know, published seven years ago. So, great apps and, um, no, this is a $5 app. Some of, uh, some of the apps that I was, sh was showing um, were, um, you know, there's, uh, what is, there's, there's over 350,000 apps that <coughs> they have in the store now. So, um, oh, I did have, I do have a link on, have I mentioned Appalicious before? This is the best way I've seen to be able to follow uh, and learn about other apps. And this is weird. The, this web page is actually not rendering properly. I haven't looked at this in, um, in Internet Explorer before. But this lets you create, um, it lets you first of all sync your apps. So here's my app library and my kids, my son probably has over 200 apps that are just games that are in here like Civilization Revolution is his. But you can rate apps, um, and you can also create lists of apps. And so when you make an app list, then you recommend, like here's, for, I, for iPhone photography, here are my favorite um, iPhoneography apps, and, and those are some that I use. So anyway, it's free, Appalicious. It's a social network. You can... Uh, join and it synchronizes to your iTunes library. You can follow other people and it's uh, a tool that I use to share apps and also learn about other apps. And once you find somebody who has music apps, then they might have rated them, written reviews, made lists, stuff like that. Okay. 
last video topic, and then we'll go to whiteboard. I have not yet graded all of your video scavenger hunt because you all did such a phenomenal job and had so many submissions. Uh, so it wouldn't have been fair for me not to give enough time to actually watch a good bit of everybody's submission. So the 9 a.m. section, I've got the winners. Um, they uh, it had, uh, There's a winner, and this is five extra credit points for each person in the team. Um, they got 10 of our scavenger, the, the winning team got 10 interviews. This is probably the fastest one on record, three seconds, somebody that's in the tree. Um, <laughs> um, the winner that we, they only had two entries in each category at 9 a.m. The one that was the runner-up for cat, uh, the thematic did a nice job having an intro video and then they had their, their students that they interviewed in their conclusion. But one of the things they didn't do a good job of was setting up the video before they hit record. So they had all this extra stuff at the beginning of their video. The team that won asked the questions in advance, basically said, are you ready? And then they recorded. If we were shooting this on an iPad 2 or an iPhone or something else that we could edit, that's not that big of a deal. But when you're shooting it on a flip-type camera, it's good to really have everything ready. And I'll display a little bit of this one. This is a good interview. Yo, I'm Johnny Watley. I'm the fitness coordinator for the UCL Wellness Center. Uh, exercise is important for several different reasons. As we age, our body will lose muscle mass if we don't uh, continue to do resistance training. So the physical part of exercise actually works on our heart too. Our heart is a muscle like any other muscle. It needs regular conditioning to stay in optimum shape. And we exercise for life as much as anything and not just aesthetics. It's really not about how you look on the outside, about, but about what's happening with your body on the inside. So that's why I'm a proponent of exercising through life. All right, thank you so much. Wow, that was awesome. So they did a great job. I will have our prize winners um, next week. And um, I intended to do that. I actually ended up driving back from Lubbock last night and getting back at 145. Um, yeah, I'm just not whining. I know we all have our different lives. They had weather in Dallas. So had I gotten back before 145, I would have gotten through all the videos. But I didn't get through all of them. Let's talk a little bit about, well, topics for final. We're going to have a 20-question multiple-choice final. Um, it is not going to be a, a, a real gotcha, difficult, challenging thing. It's mostly going to be definitions. I will guarantee that there will be at least two questions, maybe more, from the copyright and fair use section that we've had. Um, there'll probably just be one question from most of the other sections. Um, a lot of these are going to be definitional. So it's going to be multiple choice. Everything else we've done in the class has been project-based, but the final is just is going to be um, a 20 question multiple choice. We will take that in class, and I'm pretty sure that we are at a regular class time, but I looked on the did it say? The schedule, and there is no Wednesday 11 a.m. Okay, so I will find out what we're supposed to do since we're not yeah, on there as a regular, because we're an odd time, I think, right, for class. Right, it says on the bottom of the schedule if your class does not meet in the regular exam schedule, that actually our last class will be next week. Okay. All right, well, I'll find out. And if we have to have the final next week, I guess we could do that. But I wasn't planning on that. So I'll find out what, um, what we're supposed to do with that for, for, our last, uh, for our last meeting. How many of you have used an interactive whiteboard uh, for field experience or at some point you've gotten to use one by a show of hands? Oh, okay, about six of us. 
I cannot guarantee for sure, but there's a good likelihood you will have some kind of an interactive whiteboard, if not available in your classroom, which hopefully it's not available for checkout. There'll be one that you can use at your school. Just like you probably don't say, give me a tissue, I need to blow my nose, what do you say? Kleenex. Give me a Kleenex. A lot of people say that's a smart board, you know, because that's kind of become a generic. But interactive whiteboard is really the generic for these kind of devices. Um, if I was to define it, I'd basically say it's a touch-sensitive surface connected to a computer. And there are lots of different kinds of whiteboards. And so one of the required topics that we have to teach in this class and that we have need an assignment on is the smart board. And so today I'm going to give you an overview of the smart board. We're going to talk about the tools, and I'm going to show you the, the steps um, that you'll need to complete your assignment, which is a very short assignment with just, uh, I think, five requirements. Uh, for what you're going to create in Smart Notebook. When I was in Lubbock, I was in Lubbock the last two days uh, teaching a, a Story Chasers workshop. I learned that the son of one of the prominent superintendents around Lubbock, Texas, happens to work for Promethean. And so about 35 of the 50-some-odd districts around Lubbock all went with Promethean instead of with Smart. Here in Edmond, Edmond Public Schools, I think, is all um, Smart boards rather than Promethean boards. Does anybody know some big differences, or have you had a chance to use one or the other of these? This is as far as like how they're different um, between the boards. Did you all use smart boards, those of you that raised your hands? Has anybody used a Promethean board? The Promethean board um, uses a stylus instead of your finger, and also the software that goes with it is a little bit different. Um, if they had their way, the smart board people would love for everyone to make their software in the smart notebook. Okay? Apple would love if everyone had an iPad, right? But the reality is not everyone does. So it's good to learn how to use their, their tools and build in their tools, but it's also good to know how to use the web and, and use resources that aren't tied to a specific vendor. <clears throat> one of the other vendors, and this one used to be called, I think, the Interwrite board, is now owned by eInstruction and it's called the Moby. Uh, how do you think this would be different in, in big ways than what we've got in our room? That board to the left is our smart board. How would, how would this Moby be significantly different? Students get to touch it, right? In a lot of classrooms, they don't let the kids um, touch the boards. What else do you notice or think? Besides students getting to use it. Portable. Yeah, it's portable. It gets to move around. So you can have kids at their tables, at their desks. It's chargeable, too. So you're going to have to make sure it's charged, okay? Because if it doesn't get charged up before class, that could be an issue. But there are some school districts that are big into these. Some school districts are trying different tools. Some are like all one thing. We're all Moby. We're all Promethean. We're all Smartboard. Um, I, I personally think these are pretty exciting because of the student interactivity aspect of it. It doesn't show you what's on the screen, it's just a slate that you can look up at the screen and then, you know, kind of draw. Another one is called the Mimeo, and uh, similar to the, um, similar to the Moby, um, the, the Mimeo, I think, is set up to be able to have, yeah, these little Mimeo pads and tablets. How many of you have had a class where you've used a response system? 
so not a, a few of you have. Those are also being sold, you know, here. My personal view on education is we don't want to just use technology to replicate and serve the same old meatball sandwich, the same biscuits and gravy, the same traditional learning that we've always done. Um, it's natural for us to use these tools to accommodate and do the things that we've done before, but with a handheld mobile device, with a laptop, you know, there's so many things that we could do. So I can imagine far more than what we could do with just, you know, having a remote control <coughs> and being able to get um, students to, to respond. It, it, it's a big deal to know, though, if your students are understanding. Are they getting this? You know, do they, do they understand what the, what the right answer is? And can I find out right away? Um, so those are a couple different tools. I also put a link on here to that blog post I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago about using the iPad as an interactive whiteboard. Um, I think this is pretty exciting to think about how you know we could use a tablet device and again have multiple students being able to um, edit and, and contribute. If you don't have software, like the software we're going to be using today, there are some different applications that will provide that sort of functionality. Um, Smart has a restriction now where you have to have a serial number to download their software. At one point, you could just anybody could download it. But there have actually been people who have figured out how to make a Wii remote into a Smart board. Um, if you just Google... We remote um, interactive whiteboard YouTube. Three point seven million views. Hi, my name is Johnny Lee, and I'm going to show you how to create a cheap electronic whiteboard system using the Nintendo Wii Remote. Now, just like my other video on tracking your fingers using the Wii Remote. This project is also only going to use the infrared camera built into the front of each controller. Okay, so I won't show you that whole video. But basically, you need some kind of software, um, and if you've got the, the smart software, the Promethean software, anything like that, um, essentially whiteboards are, are going to work the same for them. So I can't guarantee what kind you're going to have, but it's, it's likely that you may have a whiteboard when you go into your classroom. So what I'm going to do is... Uh, share with you a couple different PDFs that are basics to the smart board and we'll uh, talk about how you can use this and some some kind of an overview and we're going to work in the smart notebook software and you're going to get to do that on your, on your computer. So if the whiteboard is set up the way that it should, you can just go right up to it and start working. I don't know why my volume will go down here. There we go. Um, but a lot of times it's not aligned and set up. First thing to probably look for is your green light. If you have a red light, that means your computer's not connected. There's some kind of interference. But it should normally be green here in the corner. Um, and the next thing to look for is whether or not it's oriented. When I you know, pick up a pen and I draw right here, is it drawing in the right spot? This is called orienting the board. And the board is oriented um, a couple different ways, but one of the easiest ways is by pushing these two buttons that are here on the, t on the front of the board, and this brings up the orientation screen. There are nine buttons on here by default. <laughs> if you want to play a nice little prank on somebody, you can go into the settings, and I think you can make it have like 90 or something. I wouldn't recommend doing that, you know, your first day on the job. Um, 
You can also take a pen and draw to that spot, and that's supposed to give you a more precise orientation. Why would I want 90 dots instead of 9? Can you think of, aside from hassling somebody and making them freak out when they... To be more precise, that's right. So if I'm doing uh, something with drafting or with math graphing or something like that, I'll hopefully have a more precise um, interaction with the board if I have more, more points. So with the whiteboard on the smart board, your finger is the mouse. So if I pick up a pen, this is really just a piece of plastic that has green on it. I can write with my finger. I can write with this pen. I am um, picking up the one that's here, and that's telling the computer that I've got the green one. But um, the biggest thing to probably remember with the smart board is to never use a real pen. And sometimes you'll see teachers that will have a big sign that will flip down, do not use a real pen, because it will potentially not ever come off of the whiteboard if you end up using a real pen. So what if you don't have some of the colors if you use one of the pens? You can basically put anything in that little tray, and the weight of it, will stop the light from being on and it will not, um, you know, it'll, fun it'll function normally. So that does happen. Kids get lost, you know, <coughs> kids steal them, people take them. Um, this is called an ink layer. And so you can take any page that you want to look at and you can have an, uh, an ink layer for that page. And different kinds of programs are going to be what are called ink-aware. So here's our page on, on interactive <coughs> whiteboards, and I'll show a couple different techniques for how you can highlight things. On your computer right now, look in your bottom right corner in your system tray. Do you see the blue square with the white-looking CD thing? Click on that, and that is going to show you some of the tools that you have available to you with the SmartBoard software. Go ahead and click on the recorder and see if that will come up. We have learned how to make a screencast using what in our class? Screener, free website, right? And there's Jing and other tools that we can use. Smart has its own screen recorder. So if I have a microphone plugged into my computer and I push the red record, everything that I'm doing now on the whole screen is being recorded. So I could go ahead and do my whole lesson, and we're going to be doing fractions today, and we're going to be multiplying fractions. And so it's obviously a lot you know, easier for me to be writing with a pen when I'm doing math than using the keyboard and typing. All of that's recorded until I hit the stop button, and then it asks me where to save the file. It's going to save it as a Windows media file. One of the challenges is, after you save the file, how do you get it on the internet? That's you got to have some website. You got to have some place to share it. So your school may have a Moodle site. It may have. They probably won't have WebCT or Blackboard because it's ridiculously expensive. Um, but there are different places where you could post those. I like Screener because it's automatically posted. But you may not want all your students to be recording lessons and putting them up. And so this is an option for recording. And I'm just going to delete that and not use that tool. But that's how you, one way to get to the tools. Another way to get to the tools is over here on the side. Do you have a little tab? Is it on, on the left side of your screen? This is a toolbar, a little shortcut bar, to get to some of your other tools. And before I show those, um, this was the first PDF 
that's, that's linked on your, on your handout. I'm going to go to the second one. The buttons that are on the smart board do two things. Well, they do a couple things. The top one brings the keyboard up. And this keyboard is not ideal. However, I can, if I need to, type things on it. I'd really recommend having your link set up and, and using Smart Notebook, if you want, for your lesson so you don't have to type stuff to go to web addresses or you have a web page like this to click on. The other button does a right click. So I want to leave this page here. I'm going to push this button to right click and I'm going to choose Smart Board Tools and um, I don't think that worked like it was supposed to. Let me try again. I want to get a right mouse button. There we go. And now it's like a right click and I can open it in a new tab. So this window stays here, and here's my PDF file. So this kind of covers some of the tools. The recorder is one of them. We're going to be using Smart Notebook here in a minute, and that's what your assignment uh, for this week, your last assignment is in. There's a video player if you, can, if you want to play videos, and then you can annotate them. Then there's these floating tools as well. Um, other stuff, I mean, there's conferencing. Um, the main thing we're going to talk about is annotating the board and making a lesson in, in Notebook. So if this is my lesson and I'm, I'm teaching this, there are a couple different techniques that I can use. This is called the window shade, and I can reveal to you, ooh, look, we're talking about the smart board. These are our, our documents that we're going to talk about first. You can do it that way, or you can reveal it this way. So close that by clicking the X in the corner. Something else that's a little bit gee whiz, and I've never really used this very much, but it's called the spotlight. It's not here in my toolbar, so if I click on the thing that looks like a gear in the side, it'll bring up all these choices, and I can put these over on my toolbar. And the spotlight looks like a stage light, and I can drag that over and put that onto my toolbar. This is what the spotlight does, and I can move this where I want it to go. I can change things, like the transparency. That's not transparent. Everything else is dark. I kind of like to have a little bit of transparency. When I use that, um, you can change the shape, and um, then you're just moving that around. So sometimes when you have a smart le board lesson, you can use that to just reveal parts of the screen and you know have your students come up and do that as well. And then you can exit. You can go in and edit any of these buttons and drag them on or off and, and put the things that you want onto the screen. Probably more common than the spotlight is going to be the highlighter. So if I click here on the highlighter, our lesson today is about the interactive whiteboard. And I can click on the little gear next to the pen, and I could change the color. So if I wanted to highlight in light orange, and I wanted to change the size, after you make a change, you have to click Save Properties. And then I'm going to be able to highlight in that color and make those changes. I can always get my eraser and pick that up and erase something. This is called the ink layer that's on top of my screen. I can pick up a pen and say whatever I want. And ink layers can just be temporary or when I click the close box up here, I should be able to click the capture button, and I'm thinking that, I didn't get this figured out last class very well, I was thinking that this capture would take a picture of the entire thing. Let's see if I've got this. 
Where do you see the prints? Yeah, that would be, that would go to the printer. Freehand capture or full screen capture or area capture. I was thinking that that camera would do it. That may be saving the, the screen as the whole thing as a picture. I think the area capture lets me drag a box around it and then it's going to save that into the smart notebook so that I can use that I can I can capture that and do something with that later. Okay. So actually let's let's make a transition and have everybody open up the smart notebook. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, have two choices. If you want to, you can click here on your icon in the system tray, and there's a choice that says notebook. You can launch it that way. Another way you can launch it is if you want to use your button bar over here on the side, and you have the one that looks like a blue square, you can click that, and it will open up Smart Notebook. Or you can go to Start All Programs, find the folder Smart Technologies, and it is in the Smart Notebook folder and you can browse. Any of those will launch the program. You can think about this program as being a lot like PowerPoint <coughs> as far as having different slides that you're going to share, but it will let you do things that PowerPoint won't in terms of having interactive manipulatives and marking stuff up and using your, your pen tools and things like that. So when it opens up, there's already a, a new notebook that started, so you can actually just close this and you won't have to um, leave that screen open. We've got a new smart notebook file. This assignment you will have to do either here in this room or in the next computer lab, unless for some reason you have access to smart notebook software, because you can't just download it. There is a serial number on smart boards. Our church has a donated smart board, and I got the serial number off of it, because I teach with it sometimes and I needed the software. So if you know someone who has a smart board and you're going to use it, <clears throat> you need to have a legitimate connection. They want you to ideally be you know, the teacher who has that smart board in your room. Um, that's the magic key that lets you download the software is, is having the serial number. So, for instance, for student teaching or for a field experience, your teacher has the smart board software and you're developing lessons and you need to do that on your own computer. If you get that serial number off of their board, which is on the back, but we can do that here. I think you can lift up... Um, one of the trays here and, and be able to get the serial number. That lets you get, uh, put the software on your own computer. So, how do you think we make additional slides? You've got one slide. Any ideas to make a new slide? Insert, Insert right? Insert menu is one way. Insert blank page. What might be another way? Right-click the slide. Awesome. When in doubt, right-click. So, right mouse button. Click. Maybe. There we go. And now I give the contextual menu, and one of those says insert a blank page. One other way that is kind of obvious. Yes. I can draw on the page, right? Here's the buttons. I use it. Oh, isn't that interesting? So I guess when I'm in the smart notebook, it won't let me draw over it. There's a, um, a button right there in the, in the corner that just has the green plus. So go ahead and make five <coughs> pages for yourself because that's the, the minimum requirements for our assignment. When you go to our assignment for today, 
it says assignment, or you can always just go up to assignments and click on week 14. These are the things that you're going to need to have in your smart notebook file. And don't plan on spending more than an hour doing this assignment. I don't want you to you know, spend six hours making this super fancy. This should be pretty quick and you can almost probably finish this today in class as far as what, um, what things you're going to put in. It says at least five different pages about a common topic or theme, title slide with your name, uh, class period, and uh, an image that has a Creative Commons link, and then a couple links, one to a Wikipedia article, one to another website, and then at least one smart digital interactive. And I'm going to show you what those are. So I'm going to go ahead and start my first slide. And just like I might on PowerPoint, I'm going to go find an image. Where would be a good place to go get an image? Flickr, and especially if we went maybe to Creative Commons and found a, a licensed image. So I put a link on our assignment that you can use to go to our copyright-friendly images. And we've got a direct link here that goes to the Flickr Creative Commons site. Remember that if you just go to Flickr and search, that's going to search all the images here that are licensed in any way. But if I go to the Creative Commons, then I'm going to just search for those freely licensed images. I'm going to push the button for my keyboard to come up, and I can type. It's also a good idea to let a student be at your keyboard, and you could have them type things if for some reason you didn't have um, the search already done. So I'm going to do my, my project on lightning, and I'm going to find a lightning picture that I like. I'm going to copy this uh, address because I need to put that on my slide to do my image attribution. So I will <coughs> I think my right mouse button is getting tired. I'm going to copy that. And just like I might expect in PowerPoint, if I'm going to paste something in, right-click paste, it's going to bring it in. Except it brings it in as a text box that I, that I can move anywhere. That's the same way PowerPoint would do. And so I'll, I'll put that down at the bottom. There's my link to my photograph. Now I'm going to copy my picture. I can right-click that. Or under Actions, I can view all the sizes and decide what size that I want. And the large, it may be bigger than I need. But you decide. Um, it's okay if it's, if it's bigger than I really need because I can resize it. So when I paste it into my whiteboard and it's too big, then I will be able to resize it. By going to the corner and dragging. So what I did was I went to the bottom right corner, there's a little circle there, and I can resize this to be as big or as little as I want it to be. Okay? So I can put text on, and if you're on your computer, you can simply click and start typing. I'll just write on here, lightning lesson. Something that the smart board will do as well, kind of neat, is you can convert your text into, or you can convert your handwriting into text. So I've written lightning lesson. I'll click on that and I'm going to say recognize lightning lesson. So watch this. Ooh, wow, cool. So it, it has um, converted my handwriting, which was not totally horrible, 
um, into actual text. And that's kind of neat. Um, I can now highlight that and change the color. I might want to use a contrasting color to make sure that that shows up well. How you that? Did I use copy paste? Yes. Just on Flickr, I right-clicked to copy and then pasted it right in there. So you're welcome to use more than one image, but I'd like for you to use at least one picture in your notebook and include your attribution link. And I misspelled lightning, didn't I? Um, another requirement, well, I needed to have my name and my uh, hour, so by me, and this is 11 a.m. The assignment says I need to have a hyperlink to a related Wikipedia article. So I'm going to go ahead and go to uh, Wikipedia and look for lightning, and I'm going to link that to my slide. When I copy the link, I could put it just as a link. I could just paste it here onto my slide and move it somewhere. You'll notice there's a globe in the corner when you paste a link like that. That globe, when you click on it, is going to be a hyperlink, and it's going to open up a new window in your default web browser, and you're going to be able to go to that link. So this is what we're wanting, is at least one Wikipedia link and another link that goes to a different resource. I can also make objects into links. I can make pictures into links. So if I wanted to... Um, if I wanted to draw something, I don't have very good drawing skills, but uh, just for fun, I'll do a little drawing here. So if I wanted to draw my tree, my drawing skills never really advanced much beyond the first grade. Now, I don't... Um, have a yellow pen, so what I might do is come over here and get, um, I could use my highlighter if I wanted to um, make that yellow. Okay, so here's my lightning. Over here in my toolbar, I was on my highlighter, I've got to go back to my arrow. I can select any of these objects, I could select this lightning. And I can actually make my lightning a hyperlink. And any object that you click on has a little box here in the corner that gives you choices. You can clone it. You can cut it. You can copy it. Um, well, I don't, well, let me do the link first, and then I'll do the clone. If I do the link, it says, where do you want this to go? And I think it probably still has my... Wikipedia link that I copied right there. So now I can click OK, and this is a hyperlink. So up until this point, we've been in the editing mode of 
smart notebook. When you're in PowerPoint, what do you do when you start your presentation? Well, you open it up, right? Go to view slideshow, okay? Or click, there's a little button that says there's slideshow. This program, a lot like PowerPoint, has that too. And it's the presentation mode. And one way to get to it, there's a button up here that looks like a monitor that has white arrows in the corner. When I push that, now I'm in the presentation mode, full screen, just like PowerPoint. So here's my lightning lesson. Let's go to the next page. And I can click this globe and that image or that drawing has become a hyperlink. So you can make your documents interactive like that by drawing things, by putting pictures in, by putting text boxes in. Anything that you have in a smart notebook file can be a hyperlink. So you just need to include at least one hyperlink that goes to Wikipedia and then another hyperlink to a related resource um, on, your, on your notebook. I can leave this mode by pressing this button and it'll go back to the editing mode. Do we need a list where our hyperlink is or will you know by the globe? No, I'll look for it. I can see the globe. Uh-huh. Because it'll have a globe, so the globe right there. Will be there. Yes. Uh-huh. And you know, if I wanted to do this, it automatically does it when you just paste the link. If I did the picture, notice there's no globe here in the corner. If I make this picture a link, and I'll paste the link just like I did before. It'll put the globe right there in the corner. Okay. So I'll be able to tell. So the last thing that you're going to put into your um, practice notebook, and remember, you're going to need five slides. So you decide what to put in them. And you can, you know, if you want to do a picture on each one, that's fine. Um, it's whatever you want. But your minimum requirements are have at least one picture, hyperlink to Wikipedia, and a hyperlink to another resource. And the last thing is a smart notebook digital interactive. And this is the last little thing I'm going to show you about the notebook. Um, over here on the side, you have different tabs. And right now we're on the pages. You can drag these pages around and change the order and put these in whatever order that you want. You can also make groups. And so you can have a lesson that may have a lot of slides in it um, and be, be more organized. This is the page tab. The second one lets you get content from the galleries that have been downloaded to your computer. And I'm going to go ahead and choose a, a blank slide. And over here on the side, I'm clicking on the gallery. It looks like a gold picture frame that has a picture inside of it. Now, they've downloaded a lot of stuff to this computer. When somebody installs or you install the smart software, you get to decide, ooh, do I want to have the English language arts pack? Do I want to have the math pack? You know, what do I want to include? And there's like 6,700 things on this particular computer. If I just go to mathematics, I can kind of drill down here in the resources to see what's available. And what I want you to include at least one of is an interactive or multimedia. Because this is one of the ways that the smart board is really different than just having PowerPoint. So here is an example for dice. Okay? If I'm going to do a probability unit, I can pull out an interactive for dice. 
And then I can double click that and we get a roll of the dice. So that kind of an interactive is very different than just having a picture in there like I might for PowerPoint. If I don't want that, I can maybe right click on it and then I get that choice uh, to do different things um, with it. The here's what the clone tool does. When you uh, do the clone tool, is that right? Maybe it's not going to work on this one. Do this. Um, go on one of your slides. Go ahead and um, draw something. Use one of your pin, one of your pin tools to go ahead and draw something. And then I want you to figure out what the clone tool does. You're going to get to the clone tool by using the selection tool and clicking on your object. Take a little bit and try to figure out what the clone tool is going to do. If you go ahead and write um, write a word, and then you click on it, the contextual menu in the upper right corner should give you at the top recognize, and it'll try and get whatever it thinks. So it says recognize West. I click on it, and it makes it into text. Okay. So you write it first, and then you're going to select it as an object with the arrow. So you gotta change the tool and have it give you the box. Anybody figure out the clone tool? Yeah, it clones. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? It's a double like whatever you Yeah, it copies it. Okay. So it's just making a direct duplicate. And one of the things that happens sometimes when you're when you're drawing is it may not select all the objects. It may not put them all together. So when I try to select this, it's just got my face or it just got the head. You can draw a box that cuts through the whole object and then you can right click to group those objects together. All right? So now all of that drawing is going to be treated as a single object. So there's different things that you can do with, with the drawing tools. It's definitely handy to know that you can select multiple things and then be able to um, delete them or, or you know, do different things with them. Let's look at, a, at another uh, interactive. If I'm doing math and I'm going to be, let's say, uh, graphing and um, doing slope. Actually, I haven't seen this one before. This one's for algebraic functions. This is a, is a good example of something where 
it's not just, you know, static. I'm going to be able to change variables. So I've got different coefficients here that I can change. And as I change these coefficients that are in my formula, the graphed line is going to change as well. I was earlier doing a simpler one that was just slope. And this is another way to do it, too. You can put a search term in here at the top and search for something like slope. So I'm going to be teaching about my S. I'm going to be teaching about slope. I wonder if there are anything, any, if there are any objects in here that are going to help me do that. Ah, look, here's slope of a line. So I can pull that out, put that into my presentation. This is a little simpler. <clears throat> I can change my coefficient and I can add a y-intercept. And then when I click this button, it's going to compute the slope, which is the rise over the run. I can zoom in and out on my line. I can also move this number line like this. So that's pretty cool. I mean, the interactives like that are, I think, one of the, the best parts of the notebook software. Because that's more than just a picture of the coordinate grid. It's actually interactive. So when you design lessons for the smart board or for whatever interactive whiteboard that you are using, you can design them and you should design them so that students are going to be able to come up and interact with the board and do things. So they'll be able to see you present things, but then, okay, now let's take a look at the slope of a line. And what do you predict is going to happen to the slope as we, uh, as we reduce it, as we make it smaller? Okay, anybody have a prediction? What's, what's the line going to do? Is it going to go more vertical or is it going to get flatter? More vertical? Okay, let's take a look. We're going to reduce it. Oh, and it starts to get flat because a slope line of zero is going to be completely horizontal. And as I increase that, it's going to raise it up. And so that's just like we think of the slope of, of the road or something like that, the slope of the mountain. In addition to that, there's other features. That's all you need to do, okay? Just have a picture with a, with a web link, have your information on the slide, link to another resource somewhere, um, and then have a, an interactive that you put on. You're done. You're going to save this file onto your flash drive, and you'll turn it in to WebCT, just like you would a Word file or a PowerPoint, except this is a smart notebook file. And I'll be able to open it because I have the smart notebook software as well. You'll need to do this assignment here in this room or in the, in the other lab because the smart notebook software is installed everywhere uh, in those labs. A couple other things. There's a lot here in the gallery. And in addition to browsing, the main thing I want to bring you, make you aware of are these interactives. But there are other things too, like backgrounds and themes. So you can drag a background or theme in here, and it's going to say, do you want them on all your pages or just on the current one? Well, let's do it on all. So this is sort of like having stationary. And as you design your lessons, then you can have your candy canes or have your pumpkins or whatever you want, your colored lines. It can be more exciting than just having plain white on the back. You also 
can very practically do things like have a grid. So I can drag that on. Now that background is on all of my slides. Well, I guess not. I didn't choose to do that. When I drag it out there, I guess I get to choose how many. And then I, then I can go ahead and, you know, graph and, and have right, right, do my coordinate plane stuff or whatever I want to do. And those are called themes that are available here. There's a lot of pictures that are available, and, um, you know, it takes a while to build smart lessons in, in the smart board software. And so what I would like to do in, in the last bit of time, and then we may even just give you some time to go ahead and work, and you can complete this assignment um, if you want to. I don't have to turn in yet on WebCT, but you can complete it and save it. Is I want to show you where there are other lessons, because I would prefer not to start from scratch if somebody else has already created a lesson about slope. I'd like to see that lesson and download it. And maybe I'll tweak it, or maybe I'll use it just as it is. And so even though there are a lot of elements that I can pull into a smart notebook um, file, there are full-blown lessons that other people have created and shared online and that's what I want to point to you, point you to next, as well as some other resources that are great because they don't just run inside the smart notebook. So here on our resource page for the interactive whiteboard, we've gone through the first two handouts here um, about smart board use. There's a couple others if you want to look at. This lesson plan and delivery, um, you know, talks about, cre you know, creating your lesson and, and the kinds of things. It talks about the gallery, the things that I just went over. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff um, in here. talks about the recognition of handwriting and, you know, gives you some different activities and things that you can do. That's all specific to the smart board. Below, we've got some communities and some places for sharing. And this first one is called the Smart Exchange. Like I said, if the people who own Smart, who are very wealthy and rich, I'm sure, had their way, everything we would create would be inside the Smart Board software. The disadvantage of that is not everybody has a Smart Board. And so, you know, they would like us to be captive to their, their software. But look, if you've got a Smart Board, use the resources that are here. So let's say <coughs> I am a math teacher and I'll click on math and I can select my grade. So let's say I'm a fourth grade math teacher. Let me see, bless you, what's available in math for fourth grade teachers? Well, there are 2,878 smart board specific resources and then I can narrow these down, for instance, by going to manipulatives. There's 193 manipulatives. So each one of these is available free. Here's one on perimeter and I can download this, and if I have the SmartBoard software installed, then it's going to open up Smart Notebook and let me use this completed file. Now this one is pretty fancy. When I go ahead and go to presentation mode and click play, Northern Squares represent the fields of a local farmer. Help the farmer measure the fields in order to build a fence around each. 
This is set up as a step-by-step, -step, and I can click to the next one and have the audio. I could choose to mute the audio if I wanted to read it myself. The line that makes up the out. Or I can turn it on, and then you can see how um, some of these are going to allow me to uh, type answers inside the boxes. And so this is already made. This is a professionally created one that the SmartBoard people have made. But this is from what is called the Smart Exchange. So it's great to know this is available. I can also search this. So if I am teaching um, perimeter, or maybe I'm teaching volume, I can search for volume. And again, if I leave that for fourth grade, there's 45 different resources. And some of these come from different places. Here's a manipulative for volume that's from Discovery Education. So I can download this. Once I have one of these objects, I can copy and paste it and use it in other places too. So here's the, here's the lesson about volume. And they've got a quiz and a glossary. I mean, this is like a textbook, except it's hyperlinked. And it's available for me to use with my smart board. So you can see that there's space here for me to work the problem. So after we look at that, I can click that, and then we could use the pen to be able to write. So that is a great resource, and it is specific to the smart board. Promethean, depending upon your school district, is also used by, by a lot of folks, and they have a website they've called Promethean Planet. <coughs> and if you ever go to a technology conference, and even not technology, there are other places too. They have huge buses that they bring in with all their fancy equipment, and they give away stuff and get teachers very excited about winning Promethean stuff. They have a lot of resources available that include, you know, teacher-created stuff. So we can look at teacher-created lessons that have been made in the software that goes with Promethean. We don't have the Promethean software, so we're not going to use it. But be aware of that. And lastly, the third one I have linked is a network called SmartBoard Revolution. <coughs> this is a Ning network. Anybody can sign and join for free. If I go here to members, you can see there are over 8,000 people that are part of this community. This is a worldwide community. and Teachers are posting resources and questions, and there are different groups for different things. So four hours ago, a teacher named Paige Coker replied to Diane Talbert's discussion on Windows 7 in a little in a group that's been uh, called <coughs> Smartboard Training Documents. Here's a group that's called Middle School Math. <coughs> and so if I wanted to, I could sign up for this community, and then I could join this group, and I could see these middle school math teachers and the resources that they're posting but I can also post my own questions and share things as well. So under groups, it looks like they've got 39 different groups. And all these are related to the use of the smart board. If I'm a librarian, you know, here's 87 people that are in the, the librarian group. We've only got six art teachers that are here. <clears throat> and a lot of names are set up where you could create your own group. And, you know, somebody had the Ohio group. That may or may not make sense to have an Oklahoma group. Maybe we just want to do, you know, the um, a fourth grade math group um, or something like that because we may be able to collaborate with teachers that aren't necessarily in Oklahoma but they're teaching fourth grade math. 
So these are all discussions and things like that that people have uh, posted. And they're sharing links to different resources. Here's activity links for symmetry and tessellations. And this looks like it's commercial. Some of these things are going to be commercial. Um, I'm most excited about free resources. And so the other links that I put on here um, underneath the communities are what I'm calling platform agnostic curriculum examples. That means you don't have to have a smart board and you don't have to have an iPad and you don't have to have <coughs> this operating system in order to use these tools. I'm going to go to the last one first. It's called the National Library of Virtual Manipulatives. And so this is sponsored by, I want to think, is it the University of U Utah State? So again, I'm a fourth grade teacher. We're doing geometry. So I'm going to select that. And here are free digital manipulatives that cover concepts from the typical fourth grade math curriculum. Is it great to have your own tangrams? Of course it is. But if I have an interactive whiteboard, or we have iPads, or we have laptops, or we have a computer lab, whatever we have, wouldn't it be great to be able to utilize digital manipulatives like this and do the kinds of activities that I might do with face-to-face -face manipulatives or, you know, manipulatives you touch, um, be able to do that. In each one of these, uh, most of them, you can click on activities and it's going to give you ideas. There's going to be information uh, for teachers. It may have standard stuff. That one looks like that's a broken link. But wonderful, wonderful resource. <clears throat> the National Library of Virtual Manipulatives. Do not have to have special software. Uh, if you wanted to, you could include a link to uh, one of these resources. So you can go to measurement. Let's go to uh, pre uh, measurement for young kids. Um, here's money. Learn about money by counting and making change. So how much money is that? We can put in <coughs> our guess. I'll get it wrong. And we'll check our answer. Oh, that's too much. Um, you can link to this as one of the links that you put into your lesson um, because you don't have to just use the interactives that are there inside um, the smart board software. The first link that I have here is to a free electronic <laughs> book called Roy, Tale of the Singing Zebra. Um, it is really interesting to see how electronic books are advancing and what, you know, what's going on with these. This is completely free. It's in different parts. You click on it and um, it has different kinds of questions. You can step through this and read it as a class. Students could read this. And as you read it, this is obviously ideal for the whiteboard to be able to click through. There are discussion sheets that are provided for you to use before reading, after reading. And this whole website, Roy the Zebra, it's all this story okay, that's in different chapters with all kinds of things. And this is all free. Um, this is a, from a site that's in England. <clears throat> the Explore Learning Gizmos is probably the coolest commercial digital curriculum site I've ever seen and, and that I know of. An example of something they have that you might not do in your class is uh, let's do rat breeding or mice breeding, you know. Um, let's go to biology for grades 9 through 12. Let's learn about heredity and genetics. Well, we're probably not going to breed mice in our classroom. But if we have a simulation like this, 
and this is going to give us five minutes to play with this basically and see, we can actually do a study and see how this works. So if I'm going to uh, start with pure mice and I'm going to have one black mouse and one white mouse, then let me breed <laughs> and see what I get genetically. And then let's find out what their genotypes are. And I can mouse over and see the genotypes. And now let's see the statistics. Okay? So now I'm going to take one of these mice with black eyes and I'm going to clear, clear it off. And I guess he's the same. Let me, let me just do, let me just do two mice that are alike here. And I'm going to breed them. And what I'm wanting to do is to, is to end up getting some genetic diversity and to see how that is going to happen. And anyway. Oh, one of the children? Okay. I haven't done this activity in a while, actually. Yeah, because after you breed them, then you get to move them down. So yeah, let's breed this child with a pure. You can see how you can start to do some experiments. At some point, we're going to get we're going to get some different results. I'm not doing a very good genetics lesson for you. I apologize. But you probably get the idea. That's pretty pretty cool. And this is a platform agnostic tool, uh, although it may be Flash-based, so that may not run on the iPad without special software. But anyway, you don't have to have smart board software to do that. That kind of digital curriculum, I think we need to be using more of because it's transformative. I mean, I can be manipulating things, doing things that I didn't, you know, don't have the money to do or my teacher doesn't have the space to do or, you know, whatever, whatever the reasons are for doing that. Uh, there's one more link that I have here to a BBC Time Tunnel uh, website. Um, and so this is going to let you uh, flash back into different periods of time and then you're going to be able to um, <coughs> put things into the time tunnel. It's going to give you challenges and stuff like that. So, you know, these kinds of resources are far beyond just here's my textbook with pictures, you know, on a web page. Um, which is, which is something we can do. We can have web pages that have textbooks on them, but there's so much more that we can do with digital curriculum. All right. Does anybody have a question about your smart board notebook assignment? Yes. Does it need to relate to what you're actually going to be teaching? No, it can just be anything. I really just want you to gain some experience building your first file in smart notebook and put some different elements in it. Even if it's disjointed, you know, you say lightning and you put in an interactive that's something else. I mean, you don't turn this in for your portfolio. Think about this as a sandbox. I just want to see that you got into it, you know, learned how to put a picture in, made a link, and at least put in uh, an, an interactive. Any other questions that you have about the... Smart notebook assignment? Um, when we actually put anything on the do we actually have to use the pen and write and have them? No. Use the keyboard. 
Right. You can just you can just use the keyboard, and when I click when I click in here um, and start typing, it'll just start. You know, just start just start to type. So you need this keyboard right exactly exactly that keyboard I was using is just when you're in the front of the room okay. we are going to be doing this without touching the actual okay. smart board so you can just put text boxes in and you don't have to use that fancy keyboard okay it may be an image that is not Creative Commons licensed because on Flickr some of the pictures. Um, go ahead and go back to your image. Some of the images. Um, see if it's all They have it set where you can't copy it. So just make sure when you do your search. Um, I've got a link here to where it says copyright friendly, and this is a this is a very common thing to do. Rather than search up here on the regular Flickr site, make sure it's the Creative Commons, and then search there. And I, in that case, they They've copyright protected that picture so that it it can't be copied. And is you there, can. Is there any way to save it without You can just email it to yourself. So just get your email, open up your email, and just uh, send it to yourself as an email attachment. The other thing the smartboard software lets us do, because you can always work around things, is <clears throat> the tool here that lets you do the capture. <laughs> You can actually capture anything that's on your screen. So when you say I'm going to capture that, it captures it and sends that file over to your smart notebook. So, you know, it's possible to capture anything that's on your screen. Remember, it's good to use the Creative Commons images because permission has been given already to use those for, in the case of attribution, for, it, for any purpose, as long as you give credit the author or the creator. Any other questions about that assignment? Yep, and no blog post. It's just turn that file in. I'm going to look for five slides and these elements right here, and then you're good. You get a you get ten points. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to be one. Okay, so for the interactive part, you might just look for maps and just put in map and see what's there. And um, it depends on what's loaded here. You're, I don't even know what that is. That looks like that's a sound file. I mean, if you can't find an interactive, try to, um, if you don't find one searching, you can go into the categories and um, see what they have. In geography, they don't have that much loaded here. So it may or may not be related to your topic. I mean, ideally it would be. Here's another thing that you can do, though. Remember I showed you that smart notebook um, website where they have all the resources? Go ahead and search that. Uh, if you want to, and you can get interactives there. That's the smart exchange. And so, yeah. 
If all else fails, just, you know, grab an interactive and put it in there. Um, you can do a timer, okay? Timer can work uh, for, for whatever lesson you're going to do. You can use a timer. So just do timer. Okay, here's a couple timers. Drag that timer in. That's your interactive. Okay. You're, when you're in the smart notebook, you're going to, instead of being here on your slides, click, click there and then uh, search for what uh, timer. Put timer up there and it'll, it'll pull the, the timers. There's two different timers that are built in there. All right, well, that's it for today. Have a great week or weekend. Keep emailing me if you need a quiz reset. I've been staying up on my WebCT email, and I will continue to do so. And By next week, we'll have all of them updated. I really wanted to do that today. I just, my goal is it'll be a quiz. So I'll, be, I'll add a quiz in WebCT, and it'll, it'll be, in fact, I think it says uh, quiz and can you, oh, you haven't uploaded, you haven't did it yet? No, the quiz eight, oh, nine. Quiz eight is the unit plan, which I'm going to uh, add today. And then quiz nine will be the smart board lesson. Can you look at mine? I don't have mine. Sure. Oh, here. Would you like to see Basically, it's a lesson plan or the template that you follow. It's imagination. You don't have to do exactly what you know you're going to do or actually teach it. They do not feel like you need it to be as extensive. They have very extensive examples on here. So for the standards, um, you, I mean, just you know, two or three. I've on our on our assignment last week. It's just those are the three things that you need. Yeah, and that's it. Oh, okay. Um, but it also will go into your portfolio for UCO. So you know, do it so it'll be in there. Yeah, but you don't have to. Don't, I mean, don't spend more than you know a couple hours. Don't spend six hours.